Amen, indeed. Good morning. You guys are chipper. Love it. It's awesome. Uh, hey, my name is Seth. I'm uh, one of the pastors uh, here uh, at Salem. So if you are joining us online as well, I want to say a special thanks to you. Uh, we're glad that you guys are a part of our body uh, in that way, a shape uh, or form. So I was actually thinking this would probably be a little sacrilegious, but maybe a request for like the score of the game in the bottom like left hand of the of the screen, or, or worse, maybe it's just playing in the back so I can see it and you can't, that'd be terrible, you know? Like, so if you don't like it, just talking. We'd be a room filled with the Holy Spirit today, just random cheers or, or maybe opposites, I don't know, so <laughs> maybe we shouldn't do that. Um, hey, we're going to be uh, diving into the book of Acts uh, again uh, this morning. We've been in a series called Witnesses, and uh, if you have not gotten uh, one of these yet, you can raise your hand and one of our um, wonderful ushers will bring that to you. We're going to be on page uh, 23. If you haven't grabbed them yet, uh, it's a great resource for you as you are kind of going along through this series with us uh, in in your own walk with Jesus, in your life group, in your uh, whatever group that you're in, uh, or just grab it with a friend and do some coffee. So there's great, great stuff in here uh, for you guys to engage in. And so utilize, utilize that. So page 23 will be in Acts 2, uh, 42 to 47. Uh, what we're going to get this morning is kind of this snapshot um, of the, the beginning as this church is kind of unfolding, uh, this beautiful portrait of the church in all of its raw and all of its rawness, and yet its beauty. And so we're going to take a, take a dive into that this morning. So, um, but while you're, you know, kind of maybe turning there, I wanted to just start with a couple of uh, quick things or a quick story. Um, several years ago, uh, I was, uh, we were back in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, uh, my wife and I decided to go out and do some food. And so we, we ran to do some lunch on a Sunday afternoon, and we went to this little local barbecue because uh, Charlotte is known for kind of like, you know, like this, like, Eastern barbecue with, you know, kind of their special vinegar. And so we went and grabbed a, a, a spot. It was earlier in our time there. So this is a long time ago. And, um, and uh, so we, get, we sit down. Turns out the food was, was really not good. So we, <laughs> we actually told people later, we're like, hey, we went to such and such. They're like, yeah, you should, yeah, ooh, gross, gross don't go there. So we're like, wow, we just spent money. But to add insult to injury, here's the way it went. So we went and, and had some food and and, uh, and we were kind of, you know, just like, just disappointed. We're getting up, and Nikki's like, we should leave. And so I'm like, yep, sure. So I scooch to the side, and I begin to stand, and then my body stops right about here. And if you've ever had this happen, you know exactly what I'm talking about. How many of you have had this happen before? Yeah, more, of you, more, than, more than we'd like to admit, right? It's just like all of a sudden you stand up, and like something, something like clicks somehow, and it's called throwing out your back. And so, like, I, I wish that I could say I did a backflip skiing or, you know, something, you know, but people are like, what happened? I'm like, yeah, I stood up. <laughs> um, so super ferocious, you know. Um, I, just, I just stood up really fast. No, I just, I just stood up, and, and it just, there it went, and it goes. And so Nikki was like, oh, my goodness, your back just went out, didn't it? I was like, no, I just love standing like this in front of a whole restaurant. Like everybody's staring at me and looking at me, and so she comes and all of her love, and, and we and she and I put my arm on her shoulder and I do this. This as fast as I can walk out out the door, 
And it was just, it was super embarrassing, obviously. Um, but then, you know, this, that next week in church, as I, you know, I kind of recovered a little bit, and then I'm at church, I'm in the halls, and, and you begin to do this. Like, I can walk, but I'm still, I still have to hold my back. And so it's like, with each thing, it's almost like a grunt, you know? And you're like, and you're walking, everybody has sympathy when this happens to you. You know, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, that's so bad. Like, what happened? Because this is the natural thing, right? It's a natural question when something changes in somebody's behavior. You say, what happened, right? Like, like how is it? Like, you want to know the story. How is it this came, came to be? Uh, and, and the reality is, is that we see this very easily uh, in these, these certain types of physical attributes. But there's something also much deeper at play here when we, when we talk about what the, what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. So I want you to imagine with me here for a second, because we're in the story of Acts, and there's these 3,000 people, to three to 10,000 people that come to know Jesus, right? And they've been following, G- they've been following their, their own way of living for, for their known life. However they want to live, you know, it's, it's, it's up to them to determine, right, the way that I want to live my life. And they, in this moment, they meet Jesus, and something radically shifts and changes inside of them. There's this internal shift, right? And so all of a sudden, as their life becomes something new, right, people are going to look at that person and go, man, what happened Right? And this is the question that Dale talked about last week, right? Big people see a difference. And I love, I love this quote um, from Gary, who's uh, actually my ministry coach. And he says this. He says, God intends for the world around us to consider a new way of life when they look at the church. Okay? The very nature of how we were meant to do life and mission together makes a prophetic statement that interrupts the self-absorbed conversations of the world around us, right? Like being a Christian in today's world is going to spark the question, what happened? Because what it does is that it interrupts the self-absorption that we have in these natural day-to-day ins and outs conversations with ourselves and with others. And when, when Jesus-filled people come into the scenario, it's like you, you have to pause and reconsider, is my way of life in line with theirs and what's different and why is that the case? Right? And so there's this beautiful picture that the church actually gets to be, this image for the world, right? But now I want you just to wrestle with this for a second because, right, because the, the church, just a, you know, a chapter ago, um, prior to Peter's sermon at Pentecost, right, uh, in chapter 2, prior to that, the, the body of believers was how many? Around 120. 120 people. Right? And, and all of a sudden, it goes from 120 to 3,000. And by the way, 3,000 might just be, we're not sure, but it might just be counting the men. So if that's true, it could be anywhere from three to 10,000 people overnight. Your church grows from small church to, to mega church in this, in this moment, right? Um, and what I love, though, and this is what's so crazy, like God has this plan, and he's unfolding this plan, and yet what happens in the text right behind this massive event, right, in, in the history that God is using to kind of kickstart the church, he moves into these few verses that's all about relationships and community, Right? And so what we're going to see is that no matter the number, community is still possible, 
right? This, these relationships at the core. Like God has not just given us the, he's not just given us Jesus, but he's also given us each other. And it's this beautiful picture. Again, it's a snapshot of the beginning church in all of its rawness, right? And what we're gonna find is that it's not just a community, it's actually a family. It's a brand new type of family that the world has never ever seen before. And it's gonna cross all sorts of boundaries and it's gonna include all sorts of people that wouldn't be naturally included in, in, in an original family. And it's become this broad, multi-ethnic, multicultural uh, family, right? And we remember that it was, we started the series, right? Like God's design in bringing everybody to, to Pentecost is that he's eventually going to scatter them back out into the world. He's created many temples in these people, and they're going to take their, themselves and, and be the church everywhere that they go, right? Everywhere where they're from. That's the plan. But before they scatter, what do they do? They gather, they gather together and we get this picture of community, right? And it's gonna start, as we're in these, just 42 to 47, it's gonna start with this idea of intentionality, okay? Um, and before we dive into the verse, I just wanna just set the stage for you here. Because remember, like, when you trust Christ, as Christ enters into your life, you become a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come, right? So it's not like you can just go back to the way that life used to be, right? Because everything inside of you is new and it longs for something more, Right? And so, yeah, you can go back to those things, and there's still always struggles, but the, this newness inside of us craves more of Jesus in our life. Right? And so there's this idea that we, just, we don't want to go back to what we used to be because we are new. But it's not just that, too. Like, something else, two other things have changed in, in the church. Right? It's not just this deep internal spiritual thing. Right? There's a location thing because they were 120 people, and they became 3,000 overnight. Are you, can you fit 3,000 people in the upper room? No. Right? And so where do they have to meet? The temple. So they shift and they go to the temple. And then they're there. And then after the temple, where do they go? They go back to all of their homes. And so that's, that's changed. But then think about this. Because also, relationally, something has changed. Right? Because you go, you go to the Upper Room Church, which is a cool name for a church, actually, right? Upper Room. You go to Upper Room pre-Pentecost, and it's like, hey, Bill, Tony, Sarah, Gina, Sandy, I don't know, like who? It's like, hey, 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 so great to see you. You go to the church after Pentecost, hey, who are you? <laughs> What's your name? You know, like all of a sudden, 120 is a fraction of three to 10,000 people. And so relationally, something has changed. And whenever that happens, right, we know that the human side of us is naturally going to occur like this sense of loss. And we have to grieve through that. And yet, though, here's what I want to tell you, though, is as you look at this portrait of the church, in the midst of all of that changing, it doesn't focus on the loss. It says in four words what they did. And they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. You see, to devote is this idea um, of like paying constant attention to something. It's this, it's this idea of without lapse that this is, is really important, so I'm dedicating and devoting and putting, putting my energy and focus into this thing, right? And we do this in life, right? We do this, um, maybe, maybe some of you do it more um, than, than others. It's like maybe somebody's like, man, I really wanna learn how to build a motorcycle. 
Maybe it's I'm struggling in algebra, so I need to devote you know, time to this, or you know, whatever it is. Maybe our marriage is hurting. We go, man, I need to devote time to this, and so we do this, and, and it's the devotion to it, it's that constant attention to it that actually helps bring about fruit in whatever we're learning, right? And so we do this all the, all the time, um, and, we, and we need to do it. But what the, what the text is gonna tell us here is that there's a lot of, there's, it assumes there's a lot of really, really good things in the world to focus on. But when it comes to the church and the community, as we gather together, this, these are the four things that it lays out that the, Luke is saying, these are the things that we need to devote our time to, okay? Or what God is ultimately saying, okay? Uh, the first one is, is this to the apostles' teaching, which means, and we'll kind of unpack these in a, in a little bit, but I just want to just go through them quick, right? Um, it just means that they're a learning church, right? As that they're constantly centered around God's word, right? Both Old and New Testament. I mean, for them, it was Old Testament because the New Testament was coming into existence later. Um, but for us, that's what it is, a learning church. Um, second is the fellowship, which really is just talking about like the idea of the loving church, and we'll see that in a little bit. What does the community look like? Um, third is the breaking of the bread, um, and we'll see this later, but this is actually oftentimes gets confused with the idea of fellowship, okay? Um, and then lastly is, is the prayer. So it's a praying church. So it's all four of these things that they are devoting themselves to, right? And this is, again, just think about the bizarre nature of the situation, right? 120 people, boom, three to 10,000 people, all in the raw beauty of this. Right? There's probably not a lot of order to this, and yet they come together. And what do they do? They devote themselves to these things. You see, these, are, these four things are, in, in, in essence, these four things are prescriptive right? That these are all things uh, that should be a part of the church, what, what we should be about, okay? It's descriptive in the sense that, that it doesn't tell us what, how each of these needs to be done, right? So we can disagree about how these look in church. What we can't disagree agree upon is the fact that these are the foundational elements of the church, right? These are the four things that as the church is starting, they say, this is what we're devoting ourselves to, right? And I love that each of those begins with the word the, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers, meaning it's definitive, right? It's not, it's not without the article. It's not this, this sense of like, you can kind of just do, do whatever you want. Like, these are the things that we're aiming at, the things that we want to be devoted Two, right? And here's the beauty of this. Like, here's what happens as, as the result of this, right? In, in the midst of them devoting themselves, which, which by the way, as you look at this, there, it seems or appears that there's order in this, right? Because we go, yeah, it's just four things. That's easy. We can put that into a service really quick. Bump, 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 bump. And yet, what we're going to find is that order is not necessarily what we see in the first church. What we find is the intentionality around these things, Okay? But it's the intentionality of these. So whatever it looks like, the intentionality of it brings about this in verse 43. It says, and awe came upon every soul. Right? There's this 
fear of the Lord, right? It's this, you know, the beginning of knowledge kind of a thing. As people are beginning to see with this new perception who God is, as he unfolds this redemptive story across time, right? They're beginning to see this. This is the way that God is working in the world, and I'm a part of it. I'm a witness to that, but not just am I, am I a witness, I'm actually a participant in this story, right? It's this, it's this beautiful picture of the church, and, and it's just so crazy to think about, like how over three to 10,000 people, just imagine being in that space, and awe just filling the relationships, right? It's not just this one moment where everyone felt this, the the, the spirit at the same time, you're like, whoa, did you feel that? You know? No, it's like this, this collective, oh, this wholeness where people are in awe of who God is. This is who he is. This is how he's working, and we are a part of this story, a part of this plan, right? It's this beautiful thing. So here's what I want to do. Just, just, I wanna, I'll give one of these for each of these words. Intentionality is this. Intentionality for us as a church is about giving constant attention to the things that matter most, the things that matter most. And it's just laid out for us. Four things, right? Teaching, fellowship, you know, um, breaking the bread, and prayers, right? These four things. And so it's about taking those things, right, uh, and giving them constant attention. And when we think, just today, in today's world, because we love order, okay, we love order, right? Um, because we know that in the deepest, darkest space of our soul is chaos, isn't it? Right? And then we have far less control in this world than we, than, we, than we like to admit. And so we like order because it's a way for us to control things. And so there is the sense, and when we think about these things, we want to throw them and pack them into these services. Right? We gravitate to the, okay, this is the structure, this is the way that it needs to be. And that makes total sense. And I get that, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm, with, I'm there with you. But here's what I want you to know, right? is that that's not what the text is going to show us. The text is going to show us something far more rudimentary that's not so much about a one service, it's about a day-to-day-to-day-to-day thing. It's about a rhythm that you and I as a church actually can be in individually and collectively as we begin to give attention and thought and intentionality to these things. So then what we're going to do as we shift into this next one is we're going to see, we're going to take all of that intentionality and now we're going to integrate that into everything that we do, day to day, okay? That's where we're going, okay? So um, look, um, and we just think about this first one, right? So I just wanna unpack the, the idea of integration with the idea of teaching, so a learning church, right? There's this, there's this kind of this question, right? Is if you were to think about, okay, so it says that they're you know, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, um, what is it that they're teaching? Right? Are they taking them to the big depths of all of those things? You know, um, the reality is is that they just took three thousand people to ten thousand people who now came to know Christ and who nothing about Jesus. It's interesting. So that in some way, shape, or form, they're starting with the basics of faith. Guys, remember. Here's what it's about. It's by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. This is not something you can do or earn. So, like, get that out of your heads, right? This is not about you so that no one can boast, right? That's a big part of it. What else are they teaching? They're probably teaching the fact that these are people who the, the scripture that they have is Old Testament, right? And so probably what, they, what, what they're doing, I'm sure, over in, in time is that they're, they're taking the Old Testament and they're pointing people to Jesus, right? And they're discovering things for the very first time. It's like, man, like when I, man, when I used to read Joel, I had no idea 
that that's what it was talking about. When I used to read in Genesis and, you know, whatever, like, I I had no idea that these things were pointing to Jesus and leading us in this redemptive story to, here's what God did. Oh, man, what I'm learning about the Old Testament now points us to Jesus. But what else are they teaching? They're probably teaching what Jesus told them. What's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might. What's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. Truly, truly, you've heard people say, or you may have heard it said, but I say to you, right? There's all these things that these people, that these disciples would have learned, that these people would have no idea about, right? And so it's this beautiful picture of what they're learning. But it's also a picture of, of another type of a learning. Because when it says, it says that the disciples have been doing these miracles and signs and wonders, right? If you've been here any, any length of time, you've probably heard me say this phrase, learn to follow your rabbi so closely that the what? Yeah, see, paying attention, woo, yeah, that the dust from his sandals clings to your garments. And see, the picture and the image is that as Jesus is walking the dusty roads, right, and as he lifts up his foot, it's that in that, that pressure, the physics, the geometry of this, that it stirs and pushes dust, and that dust begins to float, right, and that these disciples would want to be so close to Jesus, to learn from him, right, every step of the way, to go everywhere that he would go, that they would want to be right there behind the foot so that dust catches and clings to them. I like to picture the disciples like fighting over who's like right behind Jesus' feet, which is a silly, stupid thing, so it's probably not real. But, but like this idea of like, man, I want to be right here next to Jesus. And so what we forget is that for these three to 10,000 people, did they have that opportunity? No, not at all. And so as the disciples are teaching them about Jesus, what's the way that Jesus taught his disciples? By walking and by doing and by showing miracles and signs and wonders. So as you think about these people, three to 10,000 people, they're not just learning about Jesus, right? The type of learning that they have is also requiring action because the disciples are acting. They're actively healing miracles and wonders. So every time they do this, what do they see? They actually see Jesus through the disciples, this is beautiful picture, right, of what's happening in this moment, right? It's part of the learning process that we actively engage in this. It's, it's, it's bringing stuff between connection between the head, the heart, and the hands and the feet, right? And so it's all of these things uh, combined. And so what I love about the DNA of the disciple-making community that's being built here is this, is that the disciples are combining God's word with God's work, with Jesus' word, with Jesus' work. And let me just pause here for a second and just say, right, no church in the history of churches, past, present, or future, will ever be a healthy church if it neglects this. Because this is God's word. This is the one thing that we can always go to that will not change. 
And what's important about this as well, right, is that we remember that this, in our, in our understanding of who God is and, and what he communicates right here, is meant to shape our perception of culture and the world and not the other way around. It's not culture that defines how I read this. It's this how I, how it, that defines how I interact and engage with culture. So no church will ever be healthy if it neglects this or even strays from it, right? This is so fundamentally important. But the second is also true. No church that neglects the life and the works of Jesus that go with it will ever be healthy. See, it's orthodoxy and orthopraxy. It's both always in this moment, right? And so learning at the end of the day, guys, let me just say this. Guys, I, I love Greek and Hebrew. I love telling you about that because it's something I love and it's passionate about that. And I'm guessing that some of you like that. Some of you are like, you couldn't care less, right? And that's fine, right? But here's the deal. At the end of the day, everything that we learn about Jesus needs to be motivated by one thing that we want to become and look more like Jesus. That's it. That you would, you would hear that, and you go, man, like I, I, I'm learning all these sorts of cool new things. I never learned that. You imagine that we put ourselves back in the context of 3,000 people, and these people are like, man, I've never learned that. And that's a fun experience to have, but it needs to be motivated by, by this idea that I want more than anything to be right behind Jesus so that I can become more like him. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture when they devote themselves to learning with constant attention to the apostles' teaching. But it's more than that, right? There's also this idea of fellowship. So I'll ask you this question. Um, what do you think um, of fellowship? Like, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? Okay, just think for a second. When you think of fellowship, what do you think of? I don't know if this is true, but for many people, myself included, this is oftentimes what comes to my mind. Right? Yeah, let's enjoy some fellowship. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Fellowship is so good. Why? Because there's donuts. Yeah, yep. There's hot dish. Mmm, so good. Right, we live in the upper Midwest, right? That's fellowship, right? The reality is, is that as much as that is all true and good, we have confused what fellowship actually is. What we're talking about right here is actually breaking of the bread, eating together around tables, and doing life together around tables. That's breaking of the bread. So then what is fellowship, right? Fellowship is, is something deeper, right? Fellowship is something deeper than high fives and hot dishes, okay? Right? It's something much, much deeper that we share in common. Let me give you an example. So. Um, um, when my, wife, when my wife and I first got married, uh, we went and, and uh, did Christmas uh, in Yosemite, which is this beautiful park in California, right? And, uh, and so here's my first Christmas with my wife, and I'm like, in love, you know, it's great, right? And I'm like, having a great time. And then, um, and, and so I get to really get to know her, her closer family, her sister and brother-in-law, and their new baby, oh, he's so cute. Here's the problem, we got snowed in. Do you want to know what that did in that moment? Conflict. It's hard. 
It was hard for me, it was hard for everybody else, because we didn't know each other well. And so what I learned in that moment, it's a deeper, something deeper than to what I already knew to be true about my wife and I. You and I are very different people. And your family and my family are very different people. And how we interact with each other, how we deal with conflict is very different from each other, right? And differences can oftentimes cause conflict. But here's, here's what's so crazy, is that that's just one couple. That's two people in a marriage. What about 3,000 people? 10,000 people? <laughs> there's a lot of differences in that room, I would think, right? You see, there's this guy named Schoke who once wrote, uh, he's a German guy who once said that, uh, uh, that every single time you walk into a room, it's impossible to not compare yourself to other people. So when you walk into whatever room, whether it's a, a room of th- three or one, three, 30, 3,000, you walk in and you go, different hair, different body style, different culture, different language, different way of raising their kids, right? It's all of these differences that we have, right? All of these differences. So imagine walking into that room after all of these people come to know Christ, and you're like, man, I don't, What? There's, just, there's zero reason for the world to believe that the church would ever do good in that scenario because we are so different. We are so, so, so different. And yet, at the center of this fellowship is this word. The word in, in Greek here is the idea of koinonia, It means fellowship, okay? That's how it's translated in our Bibles. Um, And fellowship, at the core of that word, it comes from this word called koinos. Koinos means common, okay? Think about this. This is where we get the word community, right? Community is the combination of what two words? Common and unity. Have you ever thought about that? Common and unity. So what's a community? A community is a group of people who have one thing in common that unifies them at least for a time, right? Like of sports fans, right? Like, like Viking fans unite on Sundays and collectively we cheer and then we leave and go our separate ways and we're not really united anymore. Here's my question. What's the difference between a community and a family? You see, a community is that when you remove that generic, general, common thing that unites you, you're no longer connected but when you're a family, it doesn't matter how far you go because you are always connected because you are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Just think about that for a moment because here is how I would define fellowship. Fellowship is a family of forgiven people. You see, the way that the world sees the church is what? A group of people, a community of people who are revolving around religious ideas. That's what the world sees in the church. And what the Bible says is true about the church is that we are a family of forgiven people. That's the reality of who we are supposed to be. So no matter our race, no matter our ethnicity, no matter our culture, no matter our job, no matter our education, who 
whatever you are, what you and I and, and we together have in common is Jesus Christ. And that makes us family, which means that we treat each other differently. Absolutely, it's this beautiful, beautiful picture. Think about it this way, right? When the world thinks about diversity, okay? Because diversity is kind of this hot topic word right now. Diversity is just another way of saying there's differences, okay? What do you think about diversity? When the world sees diversity, do you want to know what their natural assumption is? Disunity. Do you want to know what the natural consequence of disunity is? Dysfunction. For the Bible and for us as Christians, as a family, what does it say? It says that when there's diversity, there's actually unity. And where there's unity, there's function. And you're like, what? There's so many reasons for the church to go wrong because of differences. And if we say the one thing that we have in common is Christ, we're good. We keep coming back to that one thing of Jesus, right? And here's the thing. So like when I think about our church, right, we go, we're, we're teachers, we're electricians, we're engineers, we're, we're salespeople, we're entrepreneurs, we're professors, we're nurses, we're doctors, we're truck drivers, we're accountants, we're shields people. We are all sorts of people who what? Have one thing in common. Jesus. We're different in so many ways, and yet we are devoted in the, in the sense that we give constant attention to one another because we're a family. I love that. And if you're one of those people that, you know, you, as you think about community, you go, man, like this, this church is way too big for me to connect. We are not a church of 120, but we're not a church of 3,000. I get it. There's somewhere in there, okay? And, and connecting is hard. But here's what I want to challenge you and, and encourage you, is that oftentimes the very things that we're afraid of and that keep us from entering community are the very things that can only be solved in the midst of community. You see, we have this, this fear of jumping in, of being fully known, because I think at the end of every day, one of our deepest desires as human beings is to be fully known in all of our mess and all of our brokenness, and yet we, we long to be able to actually be totally transparent with people, and people be like, I love you. I love you so much that I give you grace in that. At the same time, I will point you to Jesus and remind you that there's better, a better life for you as well. Right? We long for that. We long for that type of a community, which is why I think that fellowship, koinonia, in the New Testament is actually probably more akin to the idea of life groups. That's why life groups is so important. Because it's a space, it's a relational space where we actually get to share our lives with people and participate together in one another's growth. It's where we struggle well. We go, man, like I don't have life together, but I want to look more like Jesus. And that's so important. But it's not just that they have Jesus in common. There's one other thing that this text points to. Look at verse 44. Not just Jesus in common, but they actually have all who believe were together and had all things 
in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Okay, here's my God story for you this this morning, okay? So this God moment as I'm studying this passage, I'm, I'm using the original language, and I get to this sentence, and it says, as any had need. The word need in Greek is the word krea. Okay, but here it's actually used in the accusative form, which means that you add an N to the word. What does that spell in English? Crayon. What have we been asking you guys to do? Buy stuff for Ellen Hopkins. What? God's like, hey guys, check this out. Crayon. <laughs> Guys, we've had boxes coming in all week. I can't tell you. Like, that door hasn't stopped moving. It's like Amazon keeps dropping off more packages. We're like, man, we got a lot of packages. Oh, there's some more. There were 60 different things on the list to start with. Last I knew, as of Thursday, there was only five left. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, you can clap. I heard somebody trying to clap. I love that idea, right? Like we're meeting people's needs. Like guys, and it's such a, such a formative thing because when we're over there, one of the things that we do as a staff is we go every late start and we serve them breakfast. Every single teacher, para teacher, you know, para um, support staff, facilities, lunch people, we do it all and we bring food. And I can't tell you how long that line is. And as they come through, the favor that we have with them is like, guys, it's so great to know that we have a church who loves us. And you guys are doing that. It's absolutely incredible. Here's what I want you to think about, though, now, is imagine, because this is what the text says, just to take it to an extreme, Okay, here's what the text says. It says, imagine, though, in some sense, this, is that you meet someone for the very first time, right? Because when, you, when, did they know, when did they get to know these people? Yesterday. Hey, what kind of a need do you have? I don't have any money to give you, but guess what? I know I have an extra cloak at home. I'll go sell that, and I'll give you the money. You know, it's like one of those things, like we have the ability in this room just by selling excessive things to be able to take care of all the needs we have. Isn't that crazy, right? And doing it for someone that you just met yesterday. And here's the funny thing. This is what I picture in my mind, right? Earlier, it's like as you look around that group of 3,000 people and you look at the family who's like parenting their kids differently than you, you're like, nah, that's bad. Like, I just imagine that kid kicking me in the shin. and ah, ah, ha, here you go. Let me help you. You know, because it doesn't matter. What, what, what we're talking about is that we're moving aside, setting aside the differences, and we focus on Jesus. And these last two are really quick, breaking of the bread and prayers. Breaking the bread just means taking a fresh loaf and breaking it down the middle, and it just symbolizes table. The people that you eat with, that you do life with, this is a lost rhythm in American culture because we're constantly in and out of doors and trying to get everybody down and just having a space where it's unhurried, where we, where we encourage each other, we laugh together, right? Our, our life group met this week, and uh, we had a hard time starting because we were laughing so hard. We're like, <laughs> we should probably do something serious, you know? Like, it was, it was so good, because at the end of that, we're like, man, this is, this is so refreshing, and we need space just to do life together, say, how was your day? What's going on in your life? In prayers, 
And for many of us, we're not taught how to pray. We know that we're supposed to pray, and yet no one's really ever taught us. And yet, the depth that's in this, there's intimacy and intercession. And the more that we can actually practice prayer together, the more interdependent we become together on the one person that we're ultimately dependent on, which is God. This is beautiful thing, and I just want to just end, ending with these things. As you look at the rhythms, look at verse 46, because here's where it shifted. Here's where it shifts. It says, and day by day, notice the difference, right? See, it's not the event. It's not Peter's sermon. It's, we're moving into this, this, this daily rhythm. And it says, and day by day, this is the snapshot of the church in all of its raw beauty. Uh, they're attending the temple together. They're breaking bread in their homes. So they go there, they do that, and then they go back and they do this, and then they go back and then they do this, and then they come back and they do this. And it says, then they receive food with glad and generous hearts. Gosh, that's a beautiful picture of the church. Guys, here's what integration is. Integration is about making what's most important, the things that we're devoting ourselves to, making that a part of every area of our lives. That's integration. Guys, here's the world, right? We crave this kind of a community. We do. The question is whether or not we think that the gospel is worth it to do it. We crave this type of a community, and the world craves this type of a community, because what the text says is that as they do this, they have favor with all the people. You see, as they're meeting people's needs, the authorities hate the Christians, but the everyday Joes love the Christians. Why? Because they're showing up in their life, and, and, they're, and it's where faith, this intersection of faith and works meet together. And it's this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture of the church. And this is how it ends in verse 47, is that as the church does what it does best, as it focuses on the intentionality and the integration, as they do this, it creates invitation. Verse 47, they're praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Gosh, guys, you look at this and you think about the story of Acts and how three to 10,000 people were just added and there's total chaos in this group. There's not a ton of order. They're just living life together. And then what happens is that as they just love each other and love God's word and, and love all of these things is that people look at the church and they go, man, what happened to you? I want whatever you have. And it opens doors for the gospel. And it doesn't tell us that they do, but no, we know they have to share it. Why? Because people come to Christ. More people get added day to day to day. I'm going to give you these last three things as we just finish. And at Salem, you know, we know that, that God uh, wants to send us out to where we live, work, and play. But at the same time, we want to gather before we scatter. And so at Salem, we want to be a family who, who is intentional. We want to give constant attention to the things that matter most, right? Those four things listed, we get that. We also want to be integrational. We want to move into the daily rhythms, that day-to-day, -day, by taking everything that, we're, that matters most in life and working it into the most difficult spaces, of our lives. And the last is this, we wanna be invitational. We wanna surprise people with the joyful good news of God's salvation. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, as we, as we finish up this morning with this time of communion, Lord, I pray that, that you would be stirring in our hearts, that you would be reminding us as we think about the book of Acts and in all that it, that it gives us an opportunity to, to go out into the world and to be kingdom bearers and kingdom builders, but that as we scatter, before we scatter, that as we gather together in this space, that we would be reminded of the greatness of the gift that you have given us in Jesus Christ. We think about the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. The beautiful, the beautiful story. And if anybody is in here and hasn't wrestled with that, Lord, I pray that you would be stirring in their hearts to be, to be talking to people and thinking about those types of things. But then at the same time, Lord, we praise you and thank you for allowing us and giving us not just Jesus, but giving us each other and giving us the church that we can do life together with, be honest with each other, to struggle well, and to hold high in front of us the hope that we have in Christ as we move into the world. And so, Father, we thank you so much for who you are and everything that you've done for us.